Section 10 of Wildlife on a Norfolk Estuary by Arthur Henry Patterson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5 Summer Hours on Braden, Part 1. The month of June, like November, is by no means distinguished for its bird life on Braden. Most of the species that visited us in April and May have gone to their northern breeding places, and were it not for a few non-breeding stragglers that stay with us all summer through, and one or two species, as the ring plover and redshank, which still, in scanty numbers, persist in nesting in the locality, Braden Flats would be bare, indeed, of birds. A few fine adult saddleback gulls, Larus marinus, make themselves quite at home here all summer long, spending the days in indolence and ease. Hour after hour they will sit bunched up on the drier flats, scarcely troubling to turn, when some boatman passes within easy gunshot, for the artful old beggars as nine out of ten Bradeners call them, appear to be fully aware that in summer they are free from molestation. With them a number of immature greys, and occasionally odd birds in the blotched plumage of their third and fourth years keep company. Shore crabs at this season appear to be their favourite prey, and they will search for these with exemplary patience. Sometimes, after the tide has left the flats, watching for the slightest movement of those crustaceans, which skulk in the mud under the prostrate sostera, and which seem to know that their safety lies in perfect motionless. I am inclined to believe that the least movement of a crab's watchful eye staring out of the mud, even when its carapace and leg are covered, is sufficient to betray its owner to the keener yellow eye of the gull, who snatches it up in a moment, often with blades of grass hanging to it. A nip is given amidships, and the crab, killed instantaneously, is at once devoured. Pools left on the flats are closely inspected, and any hapless smelt or blenny, eel or whitebait, unwittingly imprisoned there, is very soon pounced upon and swallowed. Small fish, even a short time out of their native element, when thrown over again, often float or struggle helplessly on or near the surface of the stream. The shrimpers, sorting their catches in the harbour, throw back many of the useless fishes taken, for example, pogs, bullheads, small whitings, flatfishes, and frequently bibs. The last named especially come upstream in a helpless condition, their eyes bulging with terror and air. These are an especial titbit for the gulls, and if the few blackheads that haunt the entrance to Braden in summer miss them, or pass them by as too big for swallowing, 
the larger gulls will find them stranded by the sluggish tides on the water line at the margin of the flats for frequently successive tides fail to cover the mud flats especially during the neeps who knows what else they may pick up out of the hundred edibles that float upstream from a populous town from dead dogs downwards several curlews which i take to be either old non-breeders or last year's latest hatch birds not infrequently remain with us more or less all summer taking short trips for two or three days at a time to the wells marshes where i have seen them or some other favourite resort shilling-sized crabs now so abundant are their favourite prey and the larger nereids more inclined to wander prompted by their reproductive instincts are as eagerly searched for belated migrants are now and then met with it may be that some infirmity has made them slow of wing or disappointment at pairing time has made them laggards i saw a hooded crow loafing around Braden on june the seventeenth nineteen o six on the same date a pair of little terns were winging their way around the flats the female evidently was an invalid for her faithful mate industriously fished for her as well as for himself three grey plovers all grand fellows were hunting about at the margin of a creek on june the seventh eighteen ninety eight as contentedly and leisurely as if it were the earlier half of may a dunlin was with us as late as june the seventh nineteen o six whilst a party of youngsters had come south as early as july the seventh spoonbills in june are nothing unusual and immature birds will remain contentedly here if unmolested all summer through among the unusual occurrences i have noted was a flock of quite four hundred dunlins that on june the twenty-second eighteen ninety nine dashed by my houseboat in a compact body there was a goodly tide and a high northeast wind blowing only two days before i observed some fine adult birds feeding leisurely with some ringed plovers as if in no hurry to depart some fine old herons visit us daily all through summer having now not only themselves to keep but there are flounders and eels to be taken back to Reedham for their little ones in the heronry occasionally a grand old male bird hunches himself up on a flat or stands uncomfortably perched on some drifted basket or log for a long quiet nap free for a while from the clamour of his hungry family for whom he has to cater industriously by day and by whom no doubt his slumbers are often broken at night i have seen quite a baby heron making his initial efforts at fish capture as early as june the twenty sixth young herons scarcely so cunning as their elders 
may be easily distinguished at a distance by their darker plumage and more ragged appearance they have a habit too of pitching down into knee-deep water and remaining there patiently waiting micawber-like for such silly little fishes as may turn up and here they will remain until some hapless eel comes within range of the quickly outshot mandibles or until wearied by continued ill-luck another locality is decided upon the old birds grown artful with years show far more energy and will stealthily march along a drain or by the side of a flat with measured step turning up something for themselves a fish must indeed be sharp to dash into deeper water and evade that quick bill thrust and keener eye a young heron too is by no means so discreet as his sire who very promptly drops an eel or a flounder he considers too big to swallow if there be but the slightest hope of getting it down the fish is not thrown away for want of kneading and shaking but a junior has no eye for proportion and will waste a very long time over a hopelessly large victim and will at length be robbed of it by some other heron or will reluctantly let it go again feeling annoyed with himself no doubt for having wasted so much time and let so many more eligible fish go by one of the most ludicrous sights i ever watched was a young heron fishing in a shallow drain not a great way from my houseboat he had struck at and seized a flounder much too large to swallow no matter what efforts he might make to do so for nearly twenty minutes he shook and nipped and kneaded it alternating these exercises by most convulsive efforts to engulf it in his capacious throat over and over the bird brought it again to his bill end dropping it in the shallow as it grew weaker after being thus occupied for some eight minutes a black-headed gull or two edged up to him and watched his manoeuvres other gulls drew up from mere curiosity wondering what the others were so interested in in five minutes more than forty of them were surrounding him and still they came soon there were a hundred and still they came running craning their necks and some occasionally speeding their coming by short flights those on the far side of the flat most certainly did not know what they were running for but they still converged and drew up until eventually quite two hundred gulls were surrounding the industrious heron who had been all this time intent upon swallowing that unfortunate fish suddenly as if aware of the commotion he was causing and despairing of his efforts he dropped the coveted flounder and took to wing in disgust i could almost imagine him feeling foolish and abashed at so many other birds witnessing his discomfiture 
the town rooks are still busy feeding along the tide margin spending more of their time here than on the marshes like the local starlings they seem to acquire quite a taste for carrion both terrestrial and marine in may i have observed the old ones picking up the tiny crustaceans the shorehopper and probably corypheum to take home to their young ones in the treetops near the marketplace astonishing numbers must be collected for they may be observed snapping up these trifles with almost the alacrity of dunlins and from under their lower mandible quite a walnut-sized bag of them is collected half a dozen rooks with these pouches distended look exceedingly odd in a week or so they will be bringing their now well-fledged youngsters to share their hunting with them not at first insisting upon their catching for themselves but disgorging into their capacious mouths their often unsavoury gleanings while they flutter and croak and hop around their elders in a most energetic fashion one would hardly dream of such a rarer avis as palaces sand grouse visiting Braden, a place so ill adapted to its habits that its appearance there could have been but accidental the late fielding harmer in a very meagre reference to this species mentioned the fact of six having been seen crossing Braden on june the twelfth eighteen sixty three in which year sixty were recorded for norfolk i have recorded the shooting of one example when in company with several grey plovers on the walls but an old sportsman once the crack puntsman on Braden narrated to me one evening in 1905 his experiences with a bird of this species during that invasion of sand grouse he fell in with eleven on a flat near the lower run and had very little difficulty in getting within range they rose as he was about to fire and when he pulled the trigger the gun most annoyingly hung fire but on the charge exploding it dropped out the hindmost bird the feet were very muddy the remainder flew away and he had to be content with one he took the bird to the late mr owls a chemist who was an excellent microscopist but not a bird expert who couldn't find anything like it in the books he then proceeded with the bird to the royal where his chief captain l was staying he like my informant then a sergeant major was an officer in the artillery militia pestel left the bird there the captain being out and an officer who had been abroad recognized it as the sand grouse on returning to the hotel to hear more about the bird pestle was met by the captain's wife what a job said she a fellow at horsey has shot several 
which was a direct suggestion that the rarity and consequent value of the bird as a specimen had greatly deteriorated. However, the parties eventually came to terms, and the bird was placed in the long collection. "'Just my luck,' said Pestle. "'Had I gone at the right moment and caught the captain at home?' "'What?' I asked. "'Why, I could have made more on it,' said he with a snap, annoyed at the recollection. A CHAPTER OF MISHAPS June the 20th Up for an hour or two on Braden this fine evening, on a gentle tide. The gulls are merrily supping off whitebait, which are flashing by myriads at the margin of Braden, and the birds have but to sit quietly on the water and snap at the fry that sportively fling themselves out of the water all round them. Even the shore crabs are hurrying into the shallows, driving up here and there a frightened little swimmer, and seizing the victims right adroitly in their pincer claws. Huge jellyfishes, turning their great discs this way and that, and waving their many cilii as they go, are floating upstream without aim or definite purpose. Many of them will get stranded on the edge of the flats as the tide falls, and be left there to be wonderingly looked at by the gulls, who will perhaps tear long gelatinous strips out of them to see whether they be tasty or not, while the crabs will scuttle by, also wondering for whatever use such flabby things can be. It is an evening for reverie and quiet meditation. But for the occasional cry of some quarrelsome gull, or the mellow calls of some restless ringed plover or redshank, silence would reign, to be made the more profound, perhaps, by the deep melancholy wail of a distant curlew. Two or three wherries have passed slowly up channel with just sufficient breeze to keep them ahead of the tide. A curl of faint blue smoke hovers over the head of yon wherryman, whose huge sail looms black against the western sky. The sun, glowing redder as it nears the edge of the night cloud, grows larger and larger, and dips, dips perceptibly, behind it, showing a crimson streak here and there in the crevices of the cloud bank, and sinks altogether directly behind it, throwing up streaks of golden light, as if bidding the world good night with a last pleasant smile. Yellow and pale green and a deeper hue succeed the glow of sunset, and the lately sunlighted fragments of cloud overhead turn to purple, grey and black. Night soon creeps on, and the full moon rises in the east, to reflect in her quieter way the more effulgent beauties of the king of the day. It is time to turn the boat round and make for home. The dew is falling, and the air becoming a little chilly. But this matters little to those who rose sturdily and well. The 
lights a yarmouth burn clear and bright we run our punt up close against the smelt boat of snicker larn and enjoy a quiet little gossip between strokes snicker as usual ain't done much these sly old water dogs never do no matter how good a haul they may really have made it is the amateur fisherman who has done little who usually magnifies his catches we got to chatting over one thing and another when snicker remarked had i heard that jarry the watcher had had a tumble overboard no how was that i hope he tumbled out again said i oh yes bor we got him out at the bridge yonder he was looking at a smeltin over there up at the five stake drain standing up in his punt the fool and he bumps agin stake too takin him sheer off his balance in course over he goes god bless me my heart comes up in my mouth and we hurries up to let go the draught lines and jumps in and rows for him and he can't swim i remarked no but he chucks hisself over somehow on his back and takes things remarkable quiet but he'd lost one of his boots and his oily jumper afore we nabs hold on him and pulls him in i've seen a sight of accidents on here they tell me you had a rum go the other night close to your houseboat while saying this he smiles and nudges shorten oh yes i replied laughing for an accident seems to have a comic side sometimes when we come out of it all right oh yes in a moment of forgetfulness i let my sail get foul of a stake and standing on the forepeak to push it away to save splitting it it jibed quicker than i expected and i had either to slip in or hang to the stake i've seed a monkey up a stick said larn smiling it's well i said i had a long painter trailing behind the punt which i nabbed at the psychological moment and hauled the punt back and so saved a wade ashore that wore the minute he grinned and you and poor old blind ben had a rum go there agin that big chain cable of that russian ship agin saul's timber yard we had i replied ben was rowing pulling either oar a bit harder as i ordered him and he must get wool gathering and pull the wrong one and a strong tide pushed us under the cable at the spot it sank into Braden. at the psychological moment said larn smiling again ben and i had a rough time that night when the norfolk lass was lost i remember interjected larn we were overtaken by that bit of wind and had a fine doing too one big wave pushed us a bit awkwardly near the mud and snapped one oar blade off i had to row with the sound oar to winnard and the other hitting the mud bank to get along regular wooden leg like bore 
said he. I seed why, that day when he was sailing his punt up the ship drain. He was kind of wool-gathering, and one wrong stroke of the steering oar ran him up the steep side of the flat, and having the sheet fast, over she turns, as neat as a diver or diver. Ah, boy, you need to be careful up here. Old drunken boogles had the narrowest escapes I ever knowed anybody to have. He wore too drunk to swim, but allers got fished out in the nick of time. Except once, you remember? Yes, go on, said I. Well, one night he'd got as full as a teak, or bed tick, and arter he'd tied up his punt agin the houseboat, tumbles in head over heels. I seed him next morning, blaggardin' and foomin', and a nice mess he were in. He'd got out and couldn't remember nothin' more till he comes to the houseboat door, blinkin' like a scratch owl. Where've you been? I axes him. Gord above no, says he. I'm in a pretty pickle. And so he wore. He'd got out somehow. You could see his footmarks in the mud, and gone to sleep soaked through, and warn't dry then. Outwardly, anyway. I never got to the bottom of Neve's job there, when he slipped off the dredger up the ship drain lawn, I said. Look here, said Larn. That happened in seventy suffin. Out of that flood when the walls were undermined, where they made the boarded key. Bessie's drain used to swing round, and the whole force of the water struck the wall. They dug the new cut from agin the old ship, more on the slope, so as to set the water off more to the northard. Ah, they'd dug down a bit with hard tools. They got the dredger up and finished the job. Old Vamp's Neve was watchman, and he gets a bit full, you know, and goes up in an old Norwegian pram and makes a mess getting aboard, slipping off the plank, you know. But he catches his finger ends on it and hangs like grim death. When they found him, a most unconscious two or three hours afterwards, they could hardly break his grasp. God bless my soul and body, I've picked up several dead people and couldn't break their handhold. If it's only a stun, they never let go. Drink, sir? Yes, it's mostly that and accidents go together. Old Pintail's father, he'd been looking at a lawyer Preston's houseboat up there by the fleet. They was arter a few pike and tench and perch. Perch? Yes, there were plenty in them days in the fleet deke. Son Ford and old Johnny was going to Yarmouth for grub and that and they was both pretty full, and they makes the sheet fast. A puff of wind turns em over. Johnny sunk, and son Ford, his son Sonny Ford's alive now, hangs to the upturned punt, and we pulls him out. 
we hurried down to the beach and got some skate lines and heaven marked the stakes and allowed for the tide rose in two boats at the first haul we'd hooked him the masterpiece blow i was ever in continued larn was one september we was smelting on the flats and i says to old blue i don't like the looks of that squall workin up so we hurries in the nets and was half full of water afore we'd got em in that same breeze it was from the norad blowed the sail clean out of the wherry lucy she was loadin with forty ton of coal and driv her on the south and filled her nearly level with the cumbins obi the skipper hollered for me and we had to go and take him off or hid a perish during the night the cabin being full of water you'd hardly think as things could turn up so rough up here till you'd knowed it for yourself by this time we had landed at the entrance to the bure many stories of accidents some of a serious and others of a humorous kind might be related of men who follow Braden. Two of the latter, each disagreeable to the chief participant, I may mention. Some years ago, a crank followed Braden at intervals with a big gun that had an unpleasant knack of kicking. He was known as the Tailor. One foggy morning, he gave his fellow punters a great fright as he loomed up out of the dense mist and drew up to the quayside. His face was as red as though it had been dipped in blood, but he did not seem to know it. On inquiry, he admitted that when pulling at a bunch of fowl, the gun had kicked him badly on the nose, which started bleeding and behaved in a most refractory manner as he hastily rode for home. He had endeavoured to stanch the bleeding with his big wool mittens, and in doing so had besmeared his face all over, and the trickling blood, freezing on his moustache and beard, gave him a most gruesome appearance, as may be imagined. In January 1907, a gentleman gunner was shooting on Braden with one of the natives, and seeing a potchard too far on the flat to be reached with a charge of shot, he essayed to walk to it. Now, to anyone not used to the muddy flats, a slip sooner or later becomes a certainty, and in his haste the sportsman managed to slip, falling full length, face downwards, in a particularly nasty patch of ooze. He looked a pathetic figure, besmeared from top to toe with the vilest of mud, and with one boot that had come off in his hand as he made for the punt. It was a cruelly cold day. To add to his chagrin, the potchard took to wing and flew towards a corner, alighting near where Y was in hiding with his punt gun. Within a couple of minutes, the potchard was in his punt. I saw the bird hanging next day on Y's haberdashery stall in the market, sharing one corner of it 
with a number of fine male widgeon and some woollen stockings, all alike on sale. End of section 10